These are your options. Dried parsley. Reddit commenters who know it all. <laughs> Too many onions in the sauce. Okay. Which do you kiss? Which do you marry? <laughs> Which do you kill? I'm telling you, there's a lot of good information on Reddit, but there are there is an epidemic of know-it-alls on that platform. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sip and Feast podcast. Today, we're going to talk about condiments and specifically how they can improve your meals. We're going to talk about ones that we use all the time that we think are indispensable in our kitchen. So Tara, I think this is a great one. Did you come up with this idea or did I? I think you did. Of course I did. I think now we're all cooking a little bit more this time of year. It's starting to get a little cool out. Kids are going right back to school now. This is being filmed right uh, one day before our kids return to school. And we're kind of stocking up on stuff. We're getting ready for the bigger meals, meals that can be given to our kids for lunch meals that if you're making a lot and you maybe you take to lunch for work, stuff like that. I think that for whatever reason, we all as a culture, especially in America, start cooking more when it gets a little cool out and the summer's over. Do you agree with that, Tara? Yeah, definitely. I think it's normal. Your appetite increases more when the weather changes. Even though the weather hasn't changed here, it's like 90 degrees out, you can still kind of feel the changes in the air, and you wanna start having those heartier meals. And also I think it's that you're wearing a little bulkier clothing right now, so you're maybe not as worried about how you look, like you're not going (laughs) to the beach and stuff. You're laughing, right? But it's not, No, I I I mean, I think it's it's kinda true. Yeah, yeah, I think people definitely are are more aware of, of how your body is when you're wearing less clothing, which is in the summer. You're wearing bathing suits, shorts, Maybe smaller tops. I don't know. I mean, I like to eat all the time, but I'm going to go with what Tara's saying. I think you're probably in that boat too. So we're not talking about fattening foods specifically today, but we're talking just more about food and the condiments we use for that food to make it better. So this isn't a top five. We're probably, we probably have more than five. Yeah, we have more than five. And what we're not going to talk about right now is we're not including like ketchup mustard. It's more Italian-American yeah. focused. And, but these and, are Italian ingredients that we're speaking about. Mm-hmm. None of these are Italian-American per se. Most of these ingredients come from Italy. They're imported. And though, that there is are, true. though there are some American brands that do make these as well, names will be a little different depending on in Italy versus here. Rest assured, all these ingredients are used in Italy. Now, they might not be used in the same way that a typical Americans or just Italian people here, they use the ingredients different. So we're gonna talk about what people here in America do because we live here in America. We don't live in Europe. We don't live in any other country. And that's really what we try to do here. We tell you how we do things here. And we also try to give you a clue and information about how other people who live here do things. I mean, this is the only region where truly experts on Yeah, is where we live. So we're going to get into the first one right now. What do you have, Tara? I kind of broke these out into two categories. I've got store-bought condiments, which some of the ones on this list you could certainly make homemade, but when we use them, we're using store-bought. And then the second would be homemade condiments, things that you can make in your own kitchen. Um, So we'll start with a store-bought condiment, which is 
Cherry peppers. Cherry peppers. Your favorite. <laughs> yeah, cherry pepper. Cherry peppers are my favorite. I've been using them forever. And before we even talk, discuss the use of them in since you've known me, you've known me for four years if you've been watching our YouTube channel from the beginning. And you can go back that far and you'll see me using them. But I've been using them realistically for my whole life. I mean, I was probably three years old when I ate my first one. And they were always very much, I would say, a New York-centric thing and New Jersey. Here, way before in popularity, before Calabrian chilies ever came on the scene. You know, Calabrian chilies obviously have been in Calabria, and they've been using them forever in in Italy, but they were not a thing here uh, in America up until about 10 years ago. And we'll, we'll speak about those later because those are great. But cherry peppers, they're typically, now you can grow them in your garden. They're a little round pepper. And uh, I'm sorry, I don't know the genus, like the the, spe- the species of pepper right now. Tara will look it up a- a- as, as we're discussing this, but they, you can use them right off the vine, but they're almost always sold in vinegar. So people will call them vinegar peppers. And you might be familiar with Sopranos. And, you know, Sopranos has a lot of great food. Sopranos represents uh, Italian-American food better than anything, better than Goodfellas, better better than anything, because they had, they had about seven seasons to do it. What is it, Tara? Cherry peppers, also known as pimiento, are sp- the species is capsicum anum. Okay. Some Latin for you from someone who does not speak Latin. Anyway, back to the Sopranos. Uh, one of the they were in multiple episodes, but one of the most famous ones was uh, Vito when he made uh, pork pork with vinegar peppers. And they in the show they refer refer to them as vinegar peppers. Most people will call them cherry peppers here. You might disagree with me and say, "Oh, my my Nona always called them vinegar peppers." But anyway, in the show it was uh, they, he he was Vito was making it for his secret boyfriend. You remember that, Tara? Yeah, that was the Live Free or Die episode that took place in New Hampshire. Johnny Cakes. Was Johnny like, Cakes. That's, that's what right. He, that's what he called him. He made him his famous pork chops with vinegar peppers. That was one of the first recipes that I put out on the channel. Maybe like maybe like one of the first 30 recipes. Great use of them, but not the only use. By no means the only use. So these peppers are very, very, oh, very frequently found in different types of sausage dishes. So sausage with broccoli rabe, cherry peppers almost always go in that dish. You can go to a huge swath of Italian restaurants here in New Jersey, and you'll see them in dishes. Some of them will not, won't use broccoli rabe. A few of them might use like broccolini for the dish, but almost universally, universally it's broccoli rabe. Mm-hmm. That dish is the uh, Italian-American interpretation. I'll yeah. read what you wrote. The Americanized version takes its cue from the Apulian dish, orchiette con cime di rapa. Nobody will make it how it's probably made in Italy, but that's what makes this type of food great, is all the different interpretations of it. So cherry peppers get in there. They also are frequently found in deli cases, stuffed. And they're often stuffed with a breadcrumb mixture or they're stuffed with like ham and provolone. But once they become stuffed, they're not a condiment. They're not a condiment. A condiment That's true. The definition of condiment is that it's usually something you wouldn't eat by itself. Like you're not going to sit there and spoon ketchup into your mouth. You're right. Let's so, keep it to condiments. And, and Tara's right. And she brought me 
brought me square back to center again. So we'll stay on condiments. Uh, I actually made a condiment. It's a recipe that is on our site. It is a cherry pepper spread. So what I did was I cooked them cherry peppers with a bunch of cherry tomatoes. And Tara, you know this dish because this was one of the dishes that I made for you a long time ago and you absolutely loved, right? That's right. You used to make it all the time. When I used to work in the city, I would get home very late and you would make dinner. And often you'd have like the cherry pepper spread waiting for me when I got home. So I had like a little something to snack on while you prepared the larger meal. Didn't we didn't we do a Valentine's Day Patreon episode where you made the cherry pepper spread? There's a video of it on Patreon. So yeah, yeah. that's when we, we made Negronis too. Yeah, it was a Negroni. A, a non-alcoholic one. one and a and a regular one, right? Can't even remember. Yeah. There's so many videos <laughs> I've made. So yeah, that's another use. Thank you, Tyra. Mm -hmm. That's another use of cherry peppers. A couple other uses, they will often find their way on heroes, on your standard Italian hero. The standard hero will have a bunch of different cured meats. Some, some of them will be pepperoni, salami, sometimes mortadella, you'll have provolone, lettuce, tomato, oil, and vinegar. No mayo, no mustard ever. Ever, I'm serious about that. Uh, we get, we got so many comments on the video about that. Oh, they're saying how I ruined it there and I ruined it because I didn't toast it. I'm like, this isn't Quiznos, you know? Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> By the way, I think Quiznos went out of business. It shows you how, um, how smart of a move that was. I digress. Cherry peppers go on the sandwich. Don't confuse the cherry peppers with banana peppers that Subway puts on their sandwiches mm -hmm. or jalapeno peppers. The good way to confuse them and group them with you know, jalapeno peppers and not really banana peppers, but jalapeno peppers is because the uh, Scoville units are very close. They're about 5,000 on the Scoville unit. So this isn't all encompassing, encompassing of what cherry peppers are good for. In fact, they're so useful and they are so ubiquitous in this area of the country that you can go to any supermarket and there will be like five brands of them. And then if you go to the Italian specialty stores, there'll be like 20. But Cento, which is a popular brand, they don't just sell the cherry peppers whole. They sell them sliced. They also sell them as a hoagie spread for Philadelphia because that hoagie, is, is the name is from Philadelphia. And you put that on your hoagie or your hero if you're, if you're from New York. I actually like using the hoagie spread because it's so much easier than having to slice up the cherry peppers. To, and I like to add that to pasta. It's delicious. I recommend you get some of it. Really, really good. And I don't want to make this whole episode about cherry peppers, so I think we should probably move right into Calabrian chilies. Yeah, let's talk about Calabrian chili peppers and Calabrian chili pepper spread more specifically. So it seems that, as you, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Jim, that Calabrian chilies and Calabrian chili spread has certainly increased in popularity. Um, you see it on more and more menus, even... I think it's uh, our local coffee shop here uses it on their, I think they use it on like their sweet potato toast or, or some, something like that. Um, but they're, they're fairly like widely available, right? They, and this is a recent phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Probably really started to get popular about five or six years ago, though I've, they've been around here for over 10 years. I remember seeing them. Never really caught on. Most of the time they would be sold dried. And then for what some 
couple companies started releasing them and now now everybody's releasing them. The dividing line, you can actually tell somebody's age often by which one they like more, if they use more ch cherry peppers or Calabrian peppers. Cherry peppers will be consumed and loved by pretty much people over 40, maybe 45. And then you'll see, if you go on like TikTok and stuff, you'll see a lot of 30 year olds or younger using just almost exclusively Calabrian peppers. And a lot of them don't even know what cherry peppers are. So it's kind of, it's a very odd dynamic. And I would associate the Calabrian peppers. And again, I'm not talking Italy here because this is what they eat all the time in, in Calabria. But here it's definitely much more trendy and in to use Calabrian peppers than cherry peppers. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. Now they're different. Calabrian peppers are almost smoky. Yeah. They're, they almost have a smoky flavor and they're not really interchangeable. So Calabrian peppers are spicier, though they're not much spicier. You'll, you can look online and you'll find information and they'll say they are 40,000 Scoville units. I, I will say I've had probably 30 brands of Calabrian peppers in my life. And I probably eat in more Calabrian peppers than most people who live in America have. And I have never experienced one that has been 40,000 uh, Scoville. It, that would be the equivalent of like a bird's eye chili, which is a Thai chili. And those are hot. And I've, I've never experienced that. In fact, often the majority of the time, the Calabrian chilies I eat will have barely any spice at all. But listen, there's five varieties of them from what the research I've done. So maybe all the brands, and this wouldn't be a surprising thing, they're probably all getting the peppers from the same factory and putting their label on it. Some of the brands that are not spicy at all to me are Tuto Calabria. Never have you never been spicy mm -hmm. with them. Trader Joe's one. La Bamba. La Bamba bomb sauce. Or the, or the bomb sauce. <laughs> Hold on. See how I come prepared for these every time. It's actually a really good deal, the Trader Joe's one, because they're they're smaller jar, but they're like everything in Trader Joe's is very uh, inexpensive. Italian Bamba. Bamba. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Fermented, crushed Calabrian chili peppers. That one's good. I mean, it's a small bottle. It's probably only like four or six ounces. Um, we have a lot of different brands that a lot of them are resellers. So a lot of the products that come into the port here in New York will then be They'll either be labeled here when they get here, or they'll be, I think they're labeled often in Italy. And then, you know, they got to go through customs and everything. And then all these different sellers will only sell them to certain supermarkets. But if you go to a place by us here, Uncle Giuseppe's, when you bought them, they probably had, what, 20 brands of Calabrian chilies when you got yeah, them that they time? Have, they yeah. have a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's when we just got a whole bunch of them. Uh, but then like individual brands, every every brand is pretty much making them now because because they're popular. The only brand that's been spicy for me is, do you know Tower, which has been the only spicy Cento. one? Cento. Yeah, very yeah. spicy, Cento right? Cento is spicy, yes. I don't even know if they're all Calabrian chili in there. Mm -hmm. That's I think they're putting cayenne pepper or something in it because it's so much spicier than all the other brands. And do this, you know, do it yourself. Buy a few bottles and uh, test them out. Depending on where you live, you might have to order them from Amazon, but Amazon has about 15 or 20 brands also. So, you know, have at it. And they last a long time because you're not going to put a lot on your dishes. Like cherry peppers, you tend to go through a lot quicker, right, Tara? Yeah, for sure. What, what would you do with Calabrian? Like what verses you can't do with cherry peppers? I mean, do you agree with what I'm saying, how they're not? I, I do. So the way that I use the Calabrian chili paste is I, if I make an egg sandwich for breakfast, I will put the Calabrian chili paste on it. I wouldn't put the hoagie spread or the, Ch cherry peppers 
on an egg sandwich, unless it was a pepper and egg sandwich, that's a little bit different. That's how I use it. I also, we use it in the uh, Assassin's Pasta. So uh, Assassin's Pasta is from uh, Bari, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where it hails from. That was a recipe that was found in a crumbled up paper in the back of a cabinet in a restaurant saying how to make this odd fried spicy spaghetti dish with like a tomato liquid, basically a very watered down tomato-y broth. Mm -hmm. And you're in a cast iron pan. And the legend goes in Bari, they would just wipe up after each time they would make it to order, they would just wipe the cast iron pan with newspaper, never washing it. Anyway, Calabrian chilies are also good in, I would say like a cream sauce, but I've used them in a bunch of recipes. I think I did a spicy sausage ragu that I put them in. Really where they excel is if you watch, you know, if you watch me or you watch other cooking shows, you'll often see somebody taking some hot red pepper flakes and putting it in the oil, at, like after they fry their garlic for like 20 seconds at the end, that's the time you throw, you could throw a little bit of Calabrian paste in there and versus you wouldn't really do that with cherry peppers because cherry peppers, the, the vinegar vinegariness of them, it will really change the flavor of, of the dish. Mm -hmm. That's right. I think we should go right into the next one. So up next, I've got sun-dried items, sun-dried tomatoes and sun-dried peppers, both of them. I'm sure you, uh, actually, I don't want to assume anything. Maybe you haven't heard of sun-dried tomatoes, but sun-dried tomatoes are very, very popular ingredient, I would say everywhere in America. Sun-dried peppers, on the other hand, are definitely not. And they're both done in the same way, though I don't think that they're probably, most places probably aren't doing it the traditional way of using the sun, probably using like big ovens and dehydrators. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sun-dried tomatoes, great on sandwiches, great on uh, like, you know, like grilled chicken sandwich. They're great. You can make a pesto out of them. You can make a tapenade. Sun-dried tomatoes are sold a lot of times in oil, and then they're also sold uh, in no oil, where they're just like the individual tomato. If you buy the individual sun-dried tomatoes that are that are dry, that are not in the oil, do you have to rehydrate them in oil before? Like, what would you do with just a dried sun-dried tomato? They're great on sandwiches like that. Just the dried version? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because say you're doing like a chicken sandwich and, you know, like a kind of kind of like old out of style thing would be, and they used to make this at the deli I worked at all the time, would be a grilled chicken on ciabatta with fresh mozzarella, sun-dried tomatoes, mm -hmm. and like balsamic vinegar. That sounds good. Maybe a few basil leaves. And uh, it's definitely like a sign of the times, you know, like dated. Yeah, I feel like sun-dried tomatoes kind of remind me of like the 90s. Yeah, very dated. You know? But that just because something's dated doesn't mean it's good and things go in and out of style. I don't want to get I don't want to go off on a tangent too much here, but uh, we were discussing before cream. The use of cream in Italy was actually very popular in tons of pasta dishes in the 80s. And you can find a lot of information about this online. Basically, modern chefs now and Italians in general have tried to disown any cream in all their sauces. There are certain dishes that still retain it, like penne al bafo and uh, prosciutto and peas and cream and uh, 
pasta norcina, and there's others, but really they they were using a lot more of it. Like penne alla vodka, which I always associated with being created in America, was actually created in Italy. So, and a lot of those dishes originated in Italy. But the saying goes now is that the cream kind of like cancels everything out. It overwhelms all the flavor. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll devote a whole episode to that and uh, the... The, there's like a huge amount of vitriol that comes at us when we put cream in the pastas, which I suspect is from people that are under 30 years old in Italy, because they probably were born before when it actually yeah. was stopped being used. And, you know, that's a different discussion. The, the actual recipes there, like anywhere else in the world, change mm-hmm. and ev- everything, all everything goes through through changes. And, you know, it would have been funny to be a fly on the wall in a restaurant in the 80s in Italy and when all that was going on and then how the cuisine just, boom, changed again. You know, I, I could get behind that, you know, that understanding why it's not that important, but not, I mean, not that good to use. But yeah, the same thing goes with sun-dried tomatoes, you know, bringing it back to sun-dried tomatoes. They were everywhere here in the 90s and early 2000s. And now, you know, you make a dish with them and people, you know, I don't know, yeah. kind of cliche now, maybe a little bit. I think so. I don't care, though. Yeah, you know? I still like them. Yeah. I think they're really good. But the thing I like more than sun-dried tomatoes are those sun-dried peppers, which I know are probably hard to find. I think there's only one or two brands that actually we've had sells two, them. We've had two brands. And the first brand that we had, we were not mentioning that brand because that brand annoyed us. And uh, But the other brand is uh, Pastine. If they have it, I would assume that Moody and... Uh, all the other brands are going to be doing it too. Cento, they're, mm-hmm. they're probably, because they all copy each other, all these brands. They basically have a line. They all have a line of product. So they might have like 300 different jarred condiments and items, you know, like tuna, anchovies, Calabrian chilies, cherry peppers. They have everything. They want to have uh, artichoke hearts, capers. You you know, you know what I mean. They want to have everything. So they want to fill out their product line. And if a competitor has these delicious sun-dried peppers, then they're going to have it. Yeah. Now, Tara, what would you do with these sun-dried peppers? So what I've done with them is I put them on sandwiches and they make everything that much better. I didn't do any, I like when I had them, I didn't do anything other than that. Although I did eat them straight out of the jar, but I know that that doesn't... <laughs> That makes it not a condiment. No, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But no, I mean, I I can't even remember what type of sandwich it was. Maybe it was like a prosciutto and fresh mozzarella sandwich. I think it would be good right on bread, like with oil, like the oiliness just on bread. It is, but but that's one of my favorite condiments. Like I would, if we were going to have guests here, I would put out a jar of those peppers with some bread and cheese and and whatever else we're going to have out that day and let people do whatever they want with them because they're versatile and they're fantastic. They are freaking delicious. I, I mean, they are. My biggest complaint about them is they don't come in a big enough jar. Yeah, they're very tiny. Tiny and they jar. Are, they are expensive. Yeah. I think it's, the last time I saw it, I think it was like around $10. That much, huh? Yes. And this was at a regular, I did see them at Stop and Chop and I was like, you know oh, what it that's is? expensive. It's, it's probably big peppers that are, then they become so small mm-hmm. when they're sun dried. So yeah. that's probably what it is. It's like it probably takes like this this much amount of peppers to get into a little jar. Yeah, but they're good and the flavors really, really concentrate it. So they have like a rich And I don't know if they how new they are either. They're new they're new to you know to, to us. Right. But I will say, and I don't know if I spoke about this in the past, I had a friend, Danny, who I uh in college and he had he had a girlfriend at the time whose parents were like hardcore, hardcore off the boat. And they 
were, they owned like an importer company. So they had a whole, all line of stuff and they were in Staten Island. So they probably sold to a lot of the Italian delis there and, you know, the pizzerias and stuff like that and the specialty stores. And this was back in 2000, 2000 or no earlier, like 98. 98 and he was giving yeah. me all this different products. And I remember there was a pepper one. Do you remember that tower? No. Oh, it was like this pepper, but it was like peppers in oil or something. And I and I was, yeah. This is like when I was like really getting into the like really learning what I like. And obviously, you like this stuff here a lot. If you're listening to me babble about it the whole time, it was like life changing those peppers. And then and then then Danny broke up with her, and I like I couldn't get him anymore. And you know, it was like before the internet and stuff. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think her name was Valentina. Yeah, but maybe you should mention people's names. Well, who can, I'm not talking bad about the company. Valentina, if you're listening to this, reach out to me and send me more of those peppers. <laughs> 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 so up next, store-bought condiment. You already mentioned it, balsamic vinegar. And I would add to that any of its derivatives, like a balsamic glaze balsamic vinegar the thing that is probably the most trendy of all things in america specifically comes from modena Mo italy modena modena italy thank you tara it, i learned that from mario batali okay yeah you learn everything from mario batali you learned a lot of a lot of things to do in life from mario batali and, and learned, some things you shouldn't do you know <laughs> what not to do you learned to. but um yeah like as far as balsamic vinegar goes it was a very niche thing, even in Italy. Then it exploded, and there's a ton of articles about this online, how they would export it here, um, counterfeit, because you know if you're doing a 100-year balsamic and you're selling it to everybody, how much 100-year balsamic do you have? Same thing goes for, you know, they, this happens probably with scotch and you know bourbon, ever, anything that is a long time, because once it's gone, it's gone, and then you don't have another 100-year one. But anyway, most of the balsamic vinegar that people in America think about is not the 100-year stuff and isn't the very ultra-age stuff or anything like that. They think of more of the balsamic vinegar that you would use on uh, like a salad. Right. Now, Mario taught me, and I'm sure taught Tara, that you, in Italy, they will put it on Parmesan cheese. Yes, it gets drizzled on, although I think it's, definitely a more expensive yes. uh older balsamic vinegar and when i've seen it it's been like very thick almost syrupy syrupy expensive and then they will put it on berries too i believe or ice cream yes so i actually i don't know if you remember this but a few times i had Not made ice cream gelato yeah i don't know if you remember this a few times i had made a balsamic reduction and put it on top of strawberries and vanilla ice cream. Delicious. It is really good. There's actually a balsamic place local to us here. Is that place still around or did they go out of business? Are you talking about? Vin there's a vinegar place near here. Oh yeah, that's. Um... You are like buying balsamic vinegars I do. from them. They had like this place, which is local. They have uh, all different types. So they have like a fig balsamic and they have a, a white balsamic and well, and var a big var variation in prices. The Crushed Olive is the name of it. They're in Stony Brook Village, but they have other locations. Okay. So then they sell olive oils too. Like, yeah. Yes. So that's olive oils and vinegars. And yes, their fig balsamic vinegar is the one that I 
was always getting, but they have other ones too. They have a blueberry balsamic, a chocolate balsamic, yeah, like anything you can think of. And then they have all the white balsamics too, like like peach, elderflower, like all, all different flavors. And they're all really good. Yeah, I mean, balsamic is is great. I don't use it particularly very much at all for cooking. Yeah, you will notice uh, probably some other channels you watch that do similar content to us. They might be dumping the balsamic in like their bolognese or something like that. That's something I never do. It's something I probably never will do. But I do like it on salad. And I really, what I really like are the glazes that are sold now in Trader Joe's and Costco has one. Because if you try to make a glaze yourself, you need a lot of balsamic. And then it really gets cost prohibitive almost. And often these glazes are so much cheaper and they already they already did all the work for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The and Trader Joe's glaze, glaze is, is good. I it's I don't know. It's probably not like no. It's it's not. It's there's nothing. It's there's nothing high end about it. Is, it. We don't. It's not. This isn't. If you want ultra high end, this isn't the right yeah. channel for you. You know that if you're watching here. We care about really good food. We care about family. We care about making the best stuff we can. But we are not going to be showing you like shaving gold leaf on top of a you know a, a ninety day dry aged steak. That is not the type of stuff that we do here. And furthermore. I don't like any of that type of content, so I will never do that, even if I win the lotto, mm -hmm. you know? So speaking of the balsamic glaze, uh, the taste tester, James, went through a period of time where he didn't want to buy lunch, um, and he wanted me to make him this like special sandwich. So I made it, I don't know, every day probably for two weeks, and then he got tired of it and moved on to something else. But it was uh, boar's head black forest ham, sliced fresh mozzarella which i got the pre-sliced one if you want to make things easier for yourself definitely get, get the pre-sliced yeah. roasted red peppers oh yeah roasted red peppers perfectly complement yes. balsamic vinegar and yes. mozzarella and then i had to put the balsamic glaze on it and i was putting it on um i think it was like a ciabatta roll that i put it on a few times and he loved it that was the sandwich for those two weeks. That's the bakery that I worked at. They did. They had. They were a bakery too, and and the deli. So they had uh, ciabatta rolls. That's where they would put the sandwich mm -hmm. on. You know, we're not getting into today. Like you know, as Tara's talking about this, you know, red wine vinegar is far more useful and to my kitchen than balsamic vinegar is. We I use that far more. Uh, don't need to go into that because just buy whatever is affordable to you. It's not. There's not like really good aged red wine vinegars. We're not talking about Jardinier. You know, which we will do a recipe and that recipe has to come up soon before we do the Italian beef sandwich, mm -hmm. which is a Chicago thing. So that one I really want to do a good job on. So, but yeah, the Jardinier has to come first. Just like when I do pastina in Brado, I got to do the Brado first, you know? I think it's so weird how it's pronounced Jardinier. I hope I'm saying it right. No, you are. Or at least you're saying it the way people here in the U.S. say it. In Italy, I believe it would be giardinera, but I don't even think they have a word. That's not even a yeah. word. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, things are often made up here. Another Chicago dish that's a uniquely Chicago thing that has nothing to do with Italy is chicken Vesuvio. Vesuvio, right. if you recall, was the name of the chef in Sopranos. No. 
was the Suvio's. The Suvio's was the restaurant. Yes, it was his restaurant. His name was Artie Bucco. Artie Bucco owned the Suvio's. Excuse me. He always got the bad <laughs> end of the stick in that show, you know? I always felt bad for him. Yeah, you know? I know. People are like, oh, I would love to have them, people like that eating at my restaurant. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> That'd be the worst thing ever. Let's move on to some of the fancier homemade condiments. Um, the first one I have on the list is gremolata. Gremolata. Okay, so Tara, do you know what gremolata is used for? I believe it's mainly used on top of asobuco. Is what, that right? Why is it used, though? What's the purpose of it? Okay, so it's got parsley and orange. Is that mainly what it is? Normally, parsley and orange? I mean, there's variations, but parsley, lemon. So it's like, all right, so it's like a zest. citrus parsley. Yeah. And I believe it's served and with garlic. fattier food because it helps kind of cut the fat. And it brightens it because asabuco has no greenery on it. There's no herbs. So instead of just throwing shaved parsley on your asabuco, which is totally fine to do, you put a little bit of gremolata on there. Okay. I person, I personally, I like to serve the gremolata on the side because some people won't like it. Mm-hmm. And you can do the gremolata with lemon, orange zest, grapefruit zest. You know, you can, you know, you want to go easy with the grapefruit or or the orange because they could be a little bit more bitter. But um, I put a little oil in mine too. I put a little bit of garlic or a lot if you like a lot. And I also like a little couple anchovies in there. Other than also buco, what else would you serve it with? Lamb shanks would be good. Okay. But poposo, I have a feeling that green uh, sauce that people, not green sauce, but the green herbs that they're talking about with people who've been to Florence, mm-hmm. that's probably being, it's probably a gremolata that's put on top of it too. Because a gremolata would make sense. Asobuco is a Northern dish, mm-hmm. okay? So as is poposo. Mm-hmm. So it's probably a lot of those like braised meat stuff that gets that gets to gremolata. Okay. Next, I have pesto. It's more of the preparation of the way you'd prepare something, right? So it, it it's derived from the verb pestare, which means, to, I think, to pound, yes. right? Like mortar and pestle. Yep. Um, so there's all different types of pesto. We have the Genovese, which is with the basil and pine nuts. We've got artichoke pesto, sun-dried tomato pesto, walnut pesto. These don't just need to be mixed with pasta as a sauce they can all be used as condiments so how would you how would you serve these different yeah. condiments no you're, you're right that's that's how i would i mean you could put them out with crackers like a regular basil basil pesto would be good on like that chicken sandwich that we were talking about delicious or if you do a nice pizza say you do like a grandma pizza and you bring it out of the oven drizzle the pesto on top of it it would be great there's a lot of easy things to do with pesto and pesto if you and we're just talking I'm just talking about uh pesto genovese the basil pesto the one that you're probably thinking about you can just freeze it in ice cube trays then you, or then you can bag those ice cubes put them in a Ziploc bag pull it out when you need it just let it sit at room temperature for a couple hours it'll get right back and yeah I mean really simple and really uh, potent after it sits there for a while. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love it on a sandwich. Yeah. It's great. Pistachio. Especially with fresh mozzarella. Pistachio pesto, great on a sandwich too. Yes. With mortadella. Yeah. Mortadella and uh, like on focaccia. Yes. Yeah. And we yeah. don't have a pistachio pesto recipe. We need Not to yet. get, Not we yet. need to get that one up. Next on the homemade condiment list is salsa verde. Salsa verde is a little uh, different than a gremolata. In a gremolata, think of it as more of not too wet kind of like spoon it's it. more chunky. Chunky, like chopped. And a salsa verde, you can do in a food processor or you can use a mortar and pestle, but it's definitely smoother. 
And for my salsa verde, I use parsley, olive oil, lemon juice, anchovies, capers, and hot red pepper flakes, and then salt. And I just keep seasoning it until it's ultra potent and delicious. And that salsa verde can be used on grilled chicken, grilled steak, seafood it, it's great on. So there's, there's a lot of things you can do with it. Yeah. And like all cultures have something like this, you know, Argentine, you know, uh, Spanish, uh, like I'm thinking of like what, maris, is it mariscata, uh, the Spanish uh, dish that- That's a seafood dish, seafood, I think. And it's all green sauce. So mm. it's, you know, it's all it's all very similar and, and fresh. Fresh mm -hmm. is the word from the parsley. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's move into the listener questions. I have from Christine. Christine is wondering if she's been using her porcelain lemon lime handheld juicer wrong her whole life. She says, I always put the half lemon round side down into the cup portion of the juicer and then squeeze it that way. Works fine. But she's always like having to deal with lemon seeds. So she said she was watching someone on a video and they put the lemon round side up and then squished it. She tried it. It contained all the seeds, but she found it to be much harder to squeeze that way. So how do you use yours? Can you give her some tips? I know, I think you yourself said you were using it the wrong yeah. way. <laughs> what so is the, the right way? So Christine, the way you're describing, the way you use it is the way I've been using it, which apparently is wrong. And I'm not apparently, it's definitely wrong. And I'll tell you why, because anytime I do anything wrong on my channel of almost 700,000 subs now, I get the so many people letting me know. And some of them let me know in a very nice way. And some of them don't, okay? And uh, some of them really don't. And those are the people that end up, the comment doesn't even come up, you know, because they tell me to kill myself and whatnot. I'm not kidding. And something as as silly as that, there's probably about a thousand people let me know that I did it the wrong way. So I know it is a little harder to squeeze, like you're saying, because it, it's almost unorthodox. You're like, well, the round, you would think the outside of the lemon, the round part would go right into the cup there. It doesn't, it's-, it's, it's Yeah, so <laughs> the round side goes up. Yes. Okay. And the flat side goes into the, and the what, divot. What's weird about it is, so the round side is up like that half of the lemon. So flat side down into the cup, which is, it's weird to begin with. But then when you're squeezing it, it's one round side hitting the other the round other, side. Yeah. So it's like, it almost wants to slip away. Yeah. You know what? There's an easy solution here. Don't use that squeezer at all and just use the one that Tara loves. That, yeah. I don't ever use that handheld thing. I hate it. I use the one that it kind of has like the citrus juicer looks like a it's like the one your mom had from a Tupperware uh, sale-a-thon uh, from, from the 70s or Yeah, 80s. and it screws into the jar on the bottom, and you just do it, and you squeeze it. Yeah. Remember those Tupperware parties that people used to have? Yeah, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot about those. Yeah. They were, they were for women. Men were not allowed. Things were very sexist back then. Yeah, I, <laughs> my mom had a few Tupperware parties, and there were no men. Like, we're letting Bob come today. Yeah. Nah, yeah, they Bob don't do is any, not allowed. They don't do anything like that anymore. My mom used to have a Christmas around the world party every year too. It was like, you just got Christmas stuff. You know why people don't do anything like that anymore? Why do you think? Because they're busy looking at their phones. Exactly. Yeah. It's social media. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg, for making the world a better place. <laughs> All right. All right. So on to the next one. This is from Frank. Frank wants to know, after all the cooking... That happens, I'm assuming, for when we make videos. Who does the dishes and cleans up? So Frank, Tara does, helps me a ton. Now, it wasn't always like that. Tara 
prior to her coming in full time with me, Tara had a full time job. She worked at uh, Charles Schwab. Tara was a big shot at Charles Schwab, and I was not a big shot. No, but she was. She wasn't a low. She wasn't a lowly I person. You had a good. Middle. Tara had a great job. She's she's so so modest. Yeah, but I okay. But um, <laughs> but no, she didn't have the bandwidth to help me back then. The way now it's a it's a fifty fifty equal effort from the both of us now. But what I will do, and I'll say, is sometimes Tara will have to take the kids out or whatnot, and I can't let the dishes fill up. And we always film two videos in one day. Mm. So filming day is typically five to nine hours, depending on the recipes. I always try to do one easier recipe. And easier doesn't mean difficulty because nothing's difficult for me to cook. Because And you'll feel this, you'll, you'll realize this the more you learn to cook. Nothing will be difficult for you as you become more experienced. What I mean by difficulty is how long the dish is going to take. So I'm going to film beef bourguignon on Wednesday. That is not a quick recipe. There's no way to make it quick. Even if you were to use an Instapot, which would be a terrible thing to do because beef bourguignon depends on different sears on each step of it. But if even if you were to do that and throw it in the pot, it still would take a, a fairly long amount of time. So I need to balance that one out with a really easy recipe. But beef bourguignon is going to use a lot of dishes. There's going to be a lot of prep. I have to wash as I'm going. The reason also that I'm doing most of the cleanup after we film a video is because it's very important for Jim to take the video cards and bring them up to the office and get them on the computer and make sure that everything that was just filmed is actually yeah. there. Not to get too much in the weeds, but it's called ingesting. So now if, you, you know, if you're on a Hollywood set, if you're on a professional set, there will be so many people involved in this process. There will be assistant editors. There will be someone who's just basically an assistant. He or she makes sure the footage is okay. So I need to do that right away. I film with cameras that all have backup cards. So they all have two SD cards per camera. So I take one card up. If God forbid anything ever happened, knock on wood, I would go down and get the other one. But each video is roughly 200 gigabytes of data. If you don't know what a gigabyte is, basically just the footage I take for the videos is more than your whole entire iPhone holds. So, and that's just one video because it's two different cameras, sometimes three. It's a process and it's just Tara and myself. There's nobody else involved with this. Someday there might be a, a videographer you know, you call them a videographer or a producer or somebody who wears a bunch of hats. And that might be a person that we would like to bring in uh, and probably has a full-time position. And that would allow us to make more stuff. But yeah, no, it's, 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 Tara needs to be there helping me because I, it doesn't end for me right when a lot of people aren't aware of this. My parents still don't know what I'm doing. They have no clue because I think it's the age thing. They think that when I film stuff that the video, the polished video comes out of the camera and they don't understand and it's like cute, you know, but they don't get that there's a whole lot more more to it. Like the real fun or work starts after the video's filmed. Yeah, I've had people ask me or, or not ask me, but they've watched a YouTube video that came out on a Thursday and they're like, oh, I saw what you ate for dinner last night. It was mm. pasta y chechi. Yeah. And I was like, that wasn't filmed last yeah. night. If it was that easy, I would put a video out for you every day. I would love to do that. Final question, and this is a fun one because it's a kiss, marry, kill. So yes. if you have more questions and if you have more kiss, marry, kill ideas, please send them our way. Maybe we'll just do this every week. <laughs> send them to podcast at sipandfeast.com. This one comes from Mary. It's kiss, marry, or kill. These are your options. Dried parsley. Reddit commenters who know it all. 
too many onions in the sauce. Okay. Which do you kiss? Which do you marry? Which do you kill? Kill all the Reddit commenters. I'm telling you, there's a lot of good information on Reddit, but there are there is an epidemic of know-it-alls on that on that platform. <laughs> it is horrible. And most people on that platform are under 30, which causes more know-it-allness. I used to suffer from massive know-it-allness when I was that <laughs> age too. And as I get older, I'm approaching 45. I realize I don't know much of anything, okay? This is what happens. The more you actually know, and this is academic studies support this, the more you know about something, the less you are to speak confidently about it. It's a scary thing when a 22-year-old thinks he has the knowledge of somebody like Chef Jean-Pierre, who we were talking about last, last episode. I mean, you don't. You just don't. It doesn't even matter if you were cooking from when you came out of the womb, yeah, so that's a kill. And what were the other two? Dried parsley or too many onions in the sauce. Kiss, marry, or kill. Well, you're killing the Reddit people. Yeah. So who are you kissing and who are you marrying? Too many onions in the sauce is fine. That's a marry. And then, well, which is the best, kiss or marry? I don't know. Yeah, I think marry means the best. So kiss would be dry basil. Look, dry, uh, not dry, dry basil. No, dry. Thank God it's not dried basil. <laughs> this would be that would be a lot tougher. No, you did dried basil yeah. already in the other one. It would be a lot tougher. Listen, dried parsley is not bad. It just has no flavor anymore. It's basically just like green, dried green leaves that have no flavor. Now, where it's actually useful is say you're doing chicken cutlets because if you use a lot of wet parsley in it, it's gonna you know it, everything's gonna start clumping a lot. So you'll, you'll often notice like when you buy commercial uh, breadcrumbs. breadcrumbs, that's where the dried parsley mm-hmm. is always in. So it's not going to do anything to your dish. It's not going to improve your dish either. Uh, it's, it's neutral. A, it's, a, it's, it's a complete neutral. It is a waste. And, you know, it's it's just not going to do much. I, I Maybe there's a possibility you could reconstitute like a massive bottle of it. Possibly. I, I doubt it. That's it. <laughs> this was a great one. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember, podcast at sipandfeast.com. We'll see you next time.